means the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. You're not going mad. You're just as sane as I am. I must not tell lies. You seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to... What was the phrase? Come quietly. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We are covering chapter 32, Out of the Fire. We have a very special guest with us because she's back. It's been a long time, Julie. I'm back, everybody. It's been a very, very long time. It's been such a long time. I'm so glad to be back. You last recorded, I think it was back in August. Yeah, sometime in the summer. Which was maybe the first, it was within the first 10 chapters of the book was the last time we had you on. And now we're at chapter 32. I know. <laughs> so it's kind of crazy to think about. I'm back just in time, too. Oh, she has thoughts, people. Get ready. Yeah, I have lots of thoughts. Before we get to this chapter, though, I do have a couple of shout-outs. Um, some lovely people left some great comments, so I want to take some time to acknowledge them. We got Ashley, who left a comment on our Chamber of Secrets Chapter 1, The Worst Birthday Ooh. episode. And she goes, I love this podcast. I really appreciate that you uh, have both a spoiler and non-spoiler section. I love that you have a new guest on every week and how much fun you guys always have. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you, Ashley. Appreciate the comment. Uh, Stella, who's been fairly active recently on our comments, uh, left one on Order of the Phoenix Chapter 29 Career Advice. So a really recent chapter. And she goes, Happy Holidays. Happy holidays to you. Uh, yeah, we that it, that happened. <laughs> the holidays <laughs> did happen. We've been very busy. But anyway, she goes on to say, I agree with Dan on many levels. What? I know. <laughs> I Sometimes Look I have that, some Dan. points. Look at that, Dan. That is your holiday gift, is someone who is agreeing with you. Yeah, well, the, the irony here is you also agree with me. Cause, oh, no! Because <laughs> the point that I'm thinking she's uh, agreeing with me on is uh, how much flack i gave harry for his decision uh, the one thing i agree with you on Dan, I know. every time i know i gave him a lot of flack for going into umbridge's office uh just to find out that his dad is a jerk or not weirdly enough ties into something that happens in this chapter mm-hmm. so we'll get back to that and our next comment i'm gonna butcher this name so i apologize uh first name i m a ima Ima? 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 De Leon, I'm going to guess. Uh, Order of the Phoenix, Chapter 28, Snape's Worst Memory. This memory is where I learned how emotionally complex Snape is as a character, and when he became my favorite. The amount of guilt from calling Lily a mudblood is what made him turn to Voldy. I actually agree. Snape's Worst Memory is a really cool chapter mm-hmm. to kind of dive into characters' backgrounds, because... We learn some not-so-nice things about James and your favorite character, Sirius. And we learned that Snape... There's reasons for Snape is who he is today. Yes. Just like everyone. Childhood does matter (laughs) in people's development. And I feel like, too, the thing that's very interesting with Snape is up until this point, he's very much been portrayed as, like, the scapegoat for everything that can, like, 
go bad. He's been the scapegoat for our trio for the longest time, and I feel Ever like... Ever since Sorcerer's Stone, because yeah. he was supposed to be the one trying to go after the Sorcerer's exactly. Stone. Exactly, yeah. and so I feel like now we're starting to get more into the reasons behind some of the disdain that he has for our trio and actually saying that it's not just some type of like stupid petty drama. I mean, it's still kind of stupid and petty, but like I appreciate There's that There's trauma now, in yes. there that has created this. It's not yeah. coming out of nowhere. Yes, but I mean, putting that trauma onto a child that's not connected to it, completely different story. But Correct. Um, I appreciate that now we're starting to get into the deeper layers I think it's really interesting how this is delving into a lot of different characters' backgrounds at this point. So it's um, it's been fun. Thank you for the comments. I really appreciate them, especially the more recent episodes, Career Advice and Snape's Worst Memory. That's pretty cool that people are jumping on that comment yeah. bandwagon um, as we put out the episodes. So that's really cool to see. If you want to leave a comment, uh, just listen to our uh, episode on Spotify. There's polls on Spotify. There's the comment option you can leave. There's a review that you can leave. Um, all that helps us grow the podcast. You can also, you know, find us on Twitter and Instagram. Jen has recently taken up our Instagram, so that's a little bit more active than it has been. <laughs> so thank you to Jen for that. But anyway, let's jump into the actual chapter, uh, Out of the Fire, chapter 32. There's a lot that happens, and Julie's got opinions on all of it. <laughs> uh, really one main thing, but we'll get there. So in the chapter, we essentially get some fallout from Harry fainting in his history of magic exam. We get some interaction between Harry, Ron, and Hermione. That's, what that's Julie, all I'll say for right now. That's what Julie has to really <laughs> hammer in. Um, they come up with this plan to once again invade Umbridge's office. And you know how I felt about it last time. How will I feel about it this time? We'll find out. And then, um, shockingly, Umbridge catches him this time. So we get all of the fallout from, from that. So let's start back up with... Harry faints in the middle of an exam in a crowded great hall. And this fall, first of all, there's the fallout of what he actually passed out from mm -hmm. and the dream sequence that he saw. And then he like wakes up, everybody's staring at him. The professor's like over the top of him being like, are you okay? I know that the exhaustion from exams can drain anybody. <laughs> Listen, like, I've taken a lot of exams, and I don't think I've ever passed out from exams. I mean, they haven't been wizarding exams, but... That's true. This is a history of magic exam, so I don't believe it's taking that much out of you, other than boring you, which has been a problem with this class from the get-go. Fair enough. His main focus is, I need to help Sirius. I need to figure out a way to help Sirius. So he runs to the hospital wing, looking, uh, which is a great, great cover because he needs to go yeah, to the he hospital just passed wing. Out anyway. And he runs and he's looking for McGonagall, but he's informed that she's actually been transferred to St. Mungo's. Can we just take a quick second, everyone, like, hang on to your seats because I'm actually going to compliment Harry. I think Ooh. potentially for like the first time ever because you know what? This time, he actually went to get help. Harry actually went, hold on, something bad's happening. Let me find the grown-up. Yep. And he actually tried. So you know what? Way to go, Harry, for not doing something stupid from the get-go. Yeah, he, he actually took the proper steps. Yes. And he goes to a person, well... He, th he does think very quickly here because he's like, I, I don't have Dumbledore. Mm -hmm. I don't have Hagrid. Yeah. McGonagall's the only one I have left. Um, that at least he's 
somewhat close with. Yeah. Well, who's and then who's not going to like look at him like he has three heads and be like, what are you That's even right. talking about? McGonagall's done a very good job in this book of taking him seriously. Yes. So, uh, yeah, it, it's a sign of growth in Harry that he's mm-hmm. like, hey, I need to go find McGonagall. Even though McGonagall, even if she was in the hospital wing and not at St. Mungo's, is in no How, condition. What is she going to do? I mean, like, listen, he looked for help. That yep. wasn't just his fellow teenage friends. So way to go, Harry. But like, also, bro, what you doing? So what is his next option? He's got to find his next best hope, which is Ron and Hermione. <sighs> and this is where we get into some <laughs> issues. So uh, obviously he finds them. He's like, hey, we got to go to the Ministry of Magic. We got to save Sirius. And they're appropriately like, I'm sorry, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Well, I also love that Harry's, like, thought process of finding Ron and Hermione was, like, McGonagall's not here. What am I going to do? Who am I going to talk to? I don't even know. There's no one here. Oh, right. My two best friends who helped me through every single major life challenge, who helped figure it all out, Mm -hmm. who helped me save the day, who are always my support system, who I always yell at. What about them? Well, I guess they'll do because no one else is around. We're about to be somewhat <laughs> harsh on Harry here, and somewhat as kind, Dan. Um, I, I will try to be Harry's <laughs> voice. So essentially, he's telling him everything, and he wants them to go to the ministry. So he's trying to sell them on this. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to break down the three angles that we have here between the three of them. Harry is obviously in a very panicked, stressed. Sleep-deprived, exhausted state. That his only family member, we're going to call serious family. Sure. Um, his only family member is in danger and at risk of being lost. Right. I'm not 100% going to be on the let's throw Harry in a ditch for all of his... Like, I agree. There's some reasons why he's acting the way he is. Hermione is... Being Hermione in the best way possible of just being like, okay, let's actually think about this. Mm-hmm. Let's let's be smart about what we're about to do. And Ron, you might think, well, Ron's just helping Harry because he, they, they are best friends. Well, no. Ron is looking at this through his lens of what the facts are because he's going, you know, I know it's a dream, quote unquote, but he was right about my dad. Mm-hmm. And if he's right about my dad, he could very well be... Why wouldn't he be right about this? Well, which is why I think it's... The boys are looking very much in the present facts. And Hermione is looking at the what whole could picture. be coming down the line. Yeah. She, could, she is looking at the... Okay, there is potential that it's just a dream. There is potential that this whole thing is a trap. I mean, Hermione literally lays out Voldy's potential plan here. Yes. Uh, like point for point. I guess what we're saying is it's a complex situation that the three of them are in. Yes. Because I think they all do have some valid points here. Um, I just happen to lean towards Hermione because I think she's making the most reasoned argument against trying to go. And eventually she convinces Harry to be at least on the more cautious side and be like, hey, let's take a couple of steps here before Mm -hmm. we just jump in. Like, shouldn't your thought process be like, figure out a way to communicate with Dumbledore? You can't tell me that there is not a single way to communicate with him. And like, I get it. It's a stressful situation. The stakes are very high. But Harry, stop yelling at the people who are trying to help you. I get it. It's stressful and it's a 
potentially life or death situation. But we saw it at the beginning of this book and we're seeing it now that Harry continuously will lash out at Ron and Hermione when they're trying to be supportive and trying to help. Their little conversation, let's say. Uh, this is like my favorite part of the whole chapter because I think it's so funny. It's so loud <laughs> that it actually permeates the walls and the door of the classroom that they got into. And Ginny and Luna enter. And Harry immediately snaps at Ginny. And Ginny's just like, uh, excuse you. Who do you think you're talking to? My favorite part, though, is that... When Ginny and Luna enter, Ginny says that I recognize Terry's voice. <laughs> and like, don't get me wrong, like, you know your friend's voice and you know your friend's voice, whether they're like whispering, they're loud or yeah. they're like shouting. But I just think it's so funny that it's like he's in this room shouting. Hark, do I hear <laughs> like... the dulcet tones of Harry screaming throughout the halls? And they're like, yeah. we recognize Harry's voice. <laughs> And Luna's, like, Ginny gets fiery in her own right, right out the gate. And Luna's just like, whatever. Yeah. I'm here. I'm, I'm present. <laughs> this is so... Also, can we just, like, throw out there that Hermione had a missed career opportunity as a crisis negotiator? Because, like, I feel like she would be, like, fantastic, like... Yeah, that should have been some of her career advice. Yes. Like, uh, hostage, uh, magical hostage situations yes. or something like that. I like, mean, that's essentially bank what robbery. it is. Like, I, yeah. like, I think she'd be fantastic at it. Like, everybody calm down. <laughs> yeah. Everybody Let's do chill. this plan. Let's think through. The, I guess the five of them now uh, come up with this plan that they are going to invade Umbridge's office again and use the flu network. So... The plan is Ginny and Luna essentially act as a barricade of sorts in the hallway. Hermione's going to go into the room with Harry so he's not alone and someone's in there just in case. And Ron is going to kick the whole thing off by telling Umbridge that there's a disturbance somewhere else in the castle. Uh, Peeves destroying the Transfiguration Department. And I love how Harry's like, I knew Hermione was in when she didn't object to the destruction of the Transfiguration. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's nice. Uh, oh, sorry, sign of solidarity and loyalty. Yes. Because apparently one of your closest friends is not loyal to you. One of your friends that has literally faced death with you multiple times. Sorry, I'm still salty about how Harry treated Ron and Hermione earlier. And how he still treats them now. It's fine. Yes, we had that whole debate back in chapter four. Yep, still salty about it. You're still salty about it. I will tell you that 77% of our listeners still say the Arthur-Percy argument was worse. I think it's because we're all looking at the fallout perspective of... Well, I think everyone who's in the 77% is looking at the fallout from it. Of people saying, like, the things that they know will dig the daggers and then it causes the division in the family. Whereas, like, for me, I think that the friend fight is worse because it's like, you know that they're going to stand there and take it. And you will keep going and screaming at them just to essentially, like, vent. But you're not venting. You're venting while also targeting them. So you're putting all of your anger from everything else into your friends and just punching them over and over and over and over. I think Ron and Hermione kind of knew they deserved a little blowback, which is why I think they kind of took a more passive yeah. result of it. 
Whereas here, I don't think they like Hermione knows. No, no, no. I I have every right to to mm-hmm. step up to you right now. I'm gonna do it. So I think that's the the difference in those two situations there and here. Um, I think is why Hermione's maybe a little stronger in this yeah. particular scene. Well, I mean, think about it. Earlier in the book, like Hermione was literally crying because of Harry, like going at her. And, like, I would have to imagine that at this point, she's like, no, we are done with this. I am done. Let's, like, I'll take a second. As I tell my toddler, let's take a deep breath. <laughs> this isn't about missed mail over the summer. This is about we're going to lead a coup in the ministry or something. like Not a coup, but we're going to, like, lead in the assault on the ministry. Ops. Yeah. So, anyway, the, the plan is uh, Harry does remember to bring his invisibility cloak, which you and I have been on. Uh, like, if yeah. you're going to yes. do this, at least remember to have the appropriate things. He also remembers the knife that Sirius got him to open locks. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, how you remember the knife, but not the package that Sirius gave you to specifically communicate with him if you needed to. Well, okay. and I don't know if we should knock Harry for that, or if we should be knocking J.K. Rowling. Presumably... To get to the knife and the invisibility cloak, which we haven't heard of either of them for a little while, especially the cloak. He hasn't yeah. used the cloak in a minute. Presumably he had to, you know, rummage around his his trunk for these things. Yeah. And I'm presuming he nudged or heard a clunk or something as the package fell or ruffled around. Fair. But I'm just, you know, whatever. Um, you remember the cloak, Dan. That's all we can really expect. That's, that's fair. <laughs> Side note. Here's the thing about the flu network that I have questions about. Because Umbridge mentions in a previous chapter how they're obviously watching all of the fires in the castle except for hers. So if you're watching a flu network, they're going to Grimwald Place, which is a secret location. Which I would assume would also mean that it's hidden. Even from people monitoring the flu network. I would think so, because you could walk past Grimmauld Place and not see it. Yeah. So what's the difference? It's just odd to me that, like, you know Flu Network is trackable or traceable. But somehow they can't figure out the location. They know one location, but apparently not the other. Well, maybe it's not necessarily that they know both ends of it, but that they know a fire was used in the flu network. Like they would know like Tuesday at 8.57 a.m. the Gryffindor common room fire was used in the flu network. So then you could, you know, connect so the dots. So it's only the one. Maybe. You, like you can't, you can't be like, okay, the Gryffindor fire was used to participate in a flu network conversation, but we don't know with whom. Well, That's I would think that they would know, like, both ends of it, not necessarily, like, connected. Hmm. It's just an odd That's thing. That's the way that, like, I see it. Because otherwise you're getting into, like, essentially, like, wiretapping Kinda. calls. Yeah. So I mean, that's I, essentially what this is. My, my guess would be that they know when the fire is used in the flu network, but not necessarily where now if someone's sitting there and recording all of these they can look through and go okay the flu network was used from 826 to 829 let's see what other like fire in the flu network was used for that amount of time i will give you that the grimmauld place has an immense amount of protective enchantments on it which could work or it could block whatever 
tracking system the ministry might have. Mm-hmm. But if you're specifically maybe tapping it, that'd be hard because it's not like the ministry, especially at this point in their history, cares about privacy. <laughs> like <laughs> they will try to break whatever they have to break to yeah. find because clearly something's going on that they don't approve of. But. Yeah. I don't know. That was just my two cents question of like, wait a minute, why can't they track Grimold Place as the place the Food Network's being used? But anyway. So in the in the whole uh, Food Network usage, we get only Creature. And Creature's like, oh no, he's gone. Mm-hmm. And, and Harry picks up on some, I'm going to call them some flags. Some yeah. little, uh, maybe not glaring red flags, but they're Yellow bordering on orange caution flags of like, oh, he seems happy. Yeah. Some flags that I have a lot to say about in the spoiler section. Fair enough. But there, there's some things that he's picking up on about Creature that's yeah. a little concerning. Yes. But he like notices them and then continues to <laughs> like mm-hmm. walk well, right on by. I think we see this a lot with Harry is that once Harry has decided what he's doing, that's what Harry's doing. Like... He is very, like, point A, point B. If someone is trying to put something in the middle there, it does not matter because we are still getting to point B. Mm-hmm. I want to get into the Chamber of Secrets. We will find the Chamber of Secrets. If Harry wants to do it, he's doing it no matter who's up against him. So with Creature being a little um, mischievous on the other end of this fire. Dodgy. <laughs> a, a little dodgy, uh, but essentially giving Harry what he... He confirms what Harry believes is happening. Mm-hmm. And then he gets a very sharp pain in his head as it gets yanked out of the fire by Umbridge. And he looks around and everybody's captured, including Neville, who got caught up in the whole thing because he was trying to help Ginny from being captured. I would also like to point out that I don't remember this from the multiple times that I've read the book before rereading it for today, um, that... All four of them had been gagged. So they weren't just captured, like, and brought to Umbridge's office. They were gagged. Like, what? Well, Julie, screaming children are annoying. So. (laughs) Fair. But, like, (laughs) I just can't get over, like, the image of, like, a bunch of high, essentially high schoolers, like, gagging the other ones and, like, bringing them in, like, you know. They're all physically holding them, too. Yeah. Which I feel is a little odd, considering they're, they can use magic. Yeah. So why can't you just, like, magically... There's no magic to, like... Bind someone in bind place? Bind them or to keep them from talking. Instead, like, it's pirate times and we're gagging our prisoners. Apparently. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> Um, Harry does do some very quick thinking and some very quick lying uh, to Umbridge, uh, but unfortunately she is not buying any of it. Well, it was kind of bad lying, too. Like, it wasn't even... It's fair. I mean, you just get your head yanked out. You're already in a panicked, emotionally distraught place, and now you're being questioned, and any answer that you give could give you up. I feel like he did a pretty good job of being... Of the broom where he knows where it is? I mean, okay, so... Here's my question for you, Dan. I have a question for you this week. This week. Uh-oh. 
what other lives could Harry have used to get out? Not to get out of it, because it's Umbridge, so he never would have gotten out of the situation. But what would have been a better lie that would have at least been slightly believable? Uh, well, I think that's a plausible lie to use, because he does love Quidditch. And Umbridge, I don't think, gives Harry much credit. So if it was like, if it was someone that gave Harry more like, if he's trying to spin a lie on McGonagall, like, obviously this would be... A really subpar lie. <laughs> I get that. But Umbridge doesn't really think much of Harry. But Umbridge, since she doesn't think much of Harry, I feel like she she also seems to think that Harry is very, like, conniving and is... team. Which, I mean, to be fair, he is a little, like, conniving in regards to Umbridge. In a good way. I don't think that Umbridge would go, oh, yeah, he's probably trying to get his broom. Like, if I heard that, I'd be like... Okay, what? Bro, you know that it is locked in the dungeon. And what are you doing in the flu network to find your broom? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I guess an, the only other lies that I could think, he could take credit for the Niffler and the flu network could be the way he's getting Nifflers into the room. Like he could throw that lie out there. Yeah. Or like I was even thinking it could have been that he wanted to like Talked to McGonagall, so he was trying to see if there's a fire at St. Mungo's. I don't know. Could also be plausible. I don't know how he would cover that to make it look like, he, not look like he was trying to do something on, like, Dumbledore's behalf. But, like, I, I just feel like of all of the lies that he could have told, he picked, like, the most obvious lie. I'm, I'm going to be 100% truthful. If I was under the gun and that much, like stress and exhaustion i don't know that i could have come up with better <laughs> like okay fair like off the top of my head <laughs> i honestly don't know that i could come up with better um anyway so we get uh as umbridge is pestering harry with questions and trying to get him uh the slytherins are laughing um about you know the weasleys potentially all being expelled and they're not being another weasley here um, I, I did think that them laughing at McGonagall being injured so terribly was a little beneath them. And I get their Slytherins, but it's like, one, I get, laughing at the Weasleys being all expelled, haha, that's funny, that's whatever. McGonagall very easily could have been killed. And I get that there's a Gryffindor-Slytherin rivalry, but, come, like, a person almost died. It's not like McGonagall, I, I fully wholeheart I have my issues with McGonagall. But I don't think McGonagall was ever like Snape, where she favored Gryffindors over Slytherins. No, I feel like I she was fairly down the middle. She like she disciplines her house just as much as she would Slytherin. Right. I think McGonagall is very like fair on that aspect. I but feel when like you she's look well respected. At, yeah. But when you look at who these Slytherins are it's the worst of the Slytherins. Like, you're yeah. talking about the people's It's not the gen parents. Slytherins. Yes, it's the, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, like, you're talking about the people whose parents at home are probably bad-mouthing her. That's fair. Who are saying that, you know, she doesn't know what she's talking about, that she's not a talented witch. Like, you're talking about the crew of Slytherins that anyone who isn't Slytherin is bad and wrong and isn't that great. Yeah, no, you make a good point with, you got to look at who specifically the Slytherins are. Yeah. Um, that's very fair. I guess 
the issue that I'm running into both ways, Gryffindors and Slytherins, is the rivalry between the houses is becoming more important than actual real people's lives. Because Ron does it too. Yeah. Ron's like, oh, Montague will get permanently injured? Who cares? He took points away from Gryffindor. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> There's a difference between the severity of things happening here. But again, that goes back to the fact that they're all teenagers. Yeah. And, I mean... They don't get it. Yeah, and, yeah. like, okay, you're a big sports person. I'm clearly not. But, like, <laughs> you know, think about, like, in sports. Like, if your rival team, if the quarterback of the rival football team gets injured, you're not sitting there going, oh, that's so sad for him. You're like, <laughs> easy victory for us. That's I'm not wrong. That's, that's true, although... Getting hurt and missing a couple plays is one thing. Being like, his career is over. I'm not like, yeah, his career is over. But it's, there's a part of you. There's a part of me that's like, oh, we're probably going to win this game yeah. now. But I'm like, I'm also hoping, oh, I hope he's okay. Just, okay. you know, there's a, the, the, that little guilty part of you that's always like, I'm happy for this, but I don't want it to be like but a real bad think about thing. it. We're talking about that and we're in our 30s where, that's fair. you know, you're talking about a bunch of teenagers who don't necessarily understand any... I mean, they understand the severity, but it doesn't... I don't think it clicks as well. Mm-hmm. So, Harry finally, finally, finally remembers that Severus Snape is a member of the Order of the Phoenix. Uh, Umbridge asks uh, for Snape's presence because she wants him to bring her more Veritaserum. Which Snape replies with, uh, I gave you the last of it when you tried to interrogate him the first time. Please tell me you didn't use it all. I told you three drops was enough. <laughs> I love this part because I'm not, I'm not a huge Snape fan. But his snark, I am here for it and I love it. Like I was, when I was reading this, I was like, I love like the level of, wow, I'm not going to tell you you're a moron, but you're a moron. <laughs> yeah. So this is why I think one of the reasons I love this book so much. Because Snape is such a villain through the first four books. Mm -hmm. And you are supposed to hate him. Mm -hmm. Especially if you're reading this solely through Harry's eyes. You're supposed to hate Severus Snape. And you might have gained a little bit of... So in this book, you gain a little bit of sympathy... For him, hopefully, in Snape's worst memory. Yes. But I think, I think there are some people who even the most staunch haters of Snape find themselves being like, ooh, yeah, Snape got one over on Umbridge. Like, they're they're almost cheering for Snape. Yeah, well, and... Very I even, specific circumstance. Yeah, but. I don't think I would necessarily say that, like, I'm cheering for Snape. But the one thing that I do really like about this book in particular is you see a lot more sides of him and it starts the question of, wait a minute, so what side was he truly on? Because we know that he had the association with the Death Eaters. We know that Dumbledore really trusts him. And it was very easy prior to this book to go, I mean... He's pulling one over on Dumbledore, right? And you start getting into Order of the Phoenix, and I feel like through this whole book, there's so many times where you keep bouncing back and forth just on 
Order of the Phoenix, where you're like... Where does his loyalties yes, truly lie? Yes, where you're trying to figure out where his loyalties lie, and then, like, you see him make these, like, snide, snarky comments at Umbridge, where, like, to me, Snape kind of... This is, like, almost like an opportunity for Snape to kind of, like, get the... Not that Snape is power-hungry, but for Snape to get, like, the power that he wants. He knows he's right. Yeah. And he knows she's not particularly uh, knowledgeable about his field of expertise. Which also, I do have a question about that because you would think, because Snape says that in order to brew more, it would take, what was it? like uh, A full moon, moon cycle. cycle. So yeah. it would take a month. Wouldn't you think that as a ministry official, that you would have some knowledge of how long a controlled substance would take to make? I would also think, okay, so now we're getting into what exactly are the laws surrounding Veritaserum? Like, can it be used on the whim and will of any, like, buddy? Or... Okay, to be fair with what happens in, like, the next page and a half, <laughs> I don't think Umbridge is really concerned about it. Okay, well, that's 100% true. <laughs> but, like, I'm wondering if there are certain circumstances where it's allowed and certain circumstances where it's like, no, you have to have a certain amount of evidence before you can, like, proceed to that level yeah, of interrogation. I, mean, I can't imagine that it would be like, hey, you have questions? Get yourself some answers. Snape brings up the point of the, like, oh, and I can't use it, but, you know, my hand might slip over your pumpkin juice. And so I think there has to be some level of, like, control and regulation and i don't know if it's like the ingredients or if it's you have to like state that you're making some and storing it like it would make sense that a potions master yeah. would have some mm -hmm. um it, or that there would even be some in hogwarts when you consider like if there's a security risk happening at hogwarts like there's a lot sure at stake also if you're umbridge and you knew this was probably going to be part of your new regime You'd think you'd ask Snape for, like, a little bit of an actual store of this. But to Snape's point, he was like, I only told you to use three drops. That's on you. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, and, I mean, I think even if Umbridge, like, knew she was going to use it, like, I, she's, I don't want to say dumb enough, because that's a little harsh and mean. But she, like... She's also in a state herself right now. Yes. So it's like she's in her own, like, heightened state. And so I don't think that there was the the foresight of let's make sure that I have a bunch of this potion. I think it was a, well, that was a lie. So we're going to get to the truth as quickly as possible mm -hmm. because she's trying to lay down the law so quickly that why would you sit there and have a conversation when you can just get your answer? Yep. Well, Snape doesn't do enough for her. So she immediately puts him on probation for not helping enough. Literally, it's like three paragraphs in this book that I'm literally like dying laughing at because of the level of snark coming from two adults. And I, I, I can imagine Snape here vividly in my mind just going like, huh, like, okay. <laughs> like, like I just whatever, like, lady. see him like raising a single eyebrow and like, all right. And just, like, leaves. Like, cool. There is, and you even you, Julie, have to admit, this is some pretty quick thinking on Harry's part. To, as Snape is walking out the door, saying, he's got Padfoot at the place where it's hidden. And I, I think it's really good on Harry here 
to come up with a way to get information to Snape that no one else in the room should get. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, and, and Harry goes, oh, I hope he understands it. Like, Well, I think you're also in the situation of who cares if they understand it at this point? As long as you're not saying, like, they have Sirius Black in the Department of Mysteries, in the Ministry of Magic, where the weapon is hidden, please go get him. Like, what would you think Umbridge would do if they're like, <laughs> he, they have Sirius Black in the Department of Mysteries? Like, what would Umbridge do? That's I almost wish, a fascinating what if in its own right. Like, I wish that, like, the answer to it is that, like, she would be like, this kid is delusional. Like, Actually, lock him in the dungeon you know or something. The more I but, think about it, that's not a bad strategy. Yeah, you could have done you that. You could literally just say, hey, I was checking on the Department of Mysteries. I think Sirius Black's at the Department of Mysteries. Yeah. Have Umbridge do your dirty work for you. And you don't even that's have to say, thought. like, I'm trying to protect Sirius Black. Like, instead, when Snape is in there, you could be like, I thought that Sirius Black might be at the Department of Mysteries and I wanted to check it out because I wanted to be the hero that caught him. Because you know what? Honestly, if Sirius is about to die, it's going to be easier to save him from the whole Ministry of Magic than Voldemort. Yeah. It's, it's actually, you know what? The more I think about it, I think I'm a fan of just bluntly telling Umbridge... Hey, you might want to look at the Department of Mysteries for Sirius Black. Yeah, well, and it's so funny because I feel like it's a it's a coded message, but one that has so many, like, potential flaws. Snape would pick in the... up on this pretty well. Well, yeah, but, like, if you're sitting there going, because, the like, place... Harry says something of, you know... You'd obviously know Padfoot, but the place where it's hidden could be up to interpretation. Yeah. Is it hidden... Dumbledore? Is it the weapon? Is it... Well, does Snape even know what they're referring to it by? Like... Yeah. He he might not have been in on that. He wasn't in on that conversation at Grimwald Place when mm-hmm. they're all like, you're looking for a weapon. <laughs> like... <laughs> there is a weapon. Like, he Sirius not... is where the weapon is. <laughs> yeah. I, so I, that play, that is a little bit up to interpretation, but still... As soon as he hears Padfoot is at the place, yeah. assuming not at Grimwald Place. So there is the mention that Harry says that he's thinking as loudly as he can, which I find ironic. So I guess my question is, is could you have a conversation without speaking? I think you could. I think, you know, we get that line of, you know, they're locking eyes. Yeah. Like, and Harry's specifically looking right back at Snape uh, and thinking... What we know of Legilimens and Occlumency, based on their lessons, is there's a little bit of spell work involved, and there's a little bit of an invasion of sorts. So I guess the real question is, can you perform Legilimens and Occlumency by just literally looking in someone's eyes? Mm-hmm. Or does is there wand work that has to be done? Is there a spell that has to be performed specifically? Whether verbally or non? Yeah. Like, But if Snape is supposed to be gifted in it correct you would think that there would be like i don't know i would think that if i were snape and this was happening and you know our main trio's history and you know what's currently going on with the order of the phoenix that if you're coming into that room as dumbledore's i'm not i don't want to say right hand man because that's a little too close but we're just going to use that for lack of better terminology Mm -hmm. right now you're dumbledore's right hand man you're dumbledore's 
only eyes at Hogwarts. Yeah. Wouldn't you think that you do some type of, let me see if I can get in there. Do you think you'd have to sort through more Cho memories before you got to the... <laughs> or do you think this is such a vivid event that it's all Harry has in his head right now? Well, I'd have to think it's like easier to find what's top of mind Probably. than like... Especially digging. something so traumatic. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, you did hint at it a little bit before, but Umbridge decides to use a unique form of interrogation. Uh, she decides it's appropriate to use the Cruciatus Curse. Which, for those that don't remember from Goblet of Fire, it's, it's an unforgivable curse. Yes. <laughs> Tis illegal. So. Well, so here's my question. Is, does she even know the curse? Because from what we've learned of magic in all of the books is just because you know the incantation doesn't mean you can actually do it. Sure. So, like, take Expecto Patronum, for example. You might yeah. know the spell, but to actually do it yeah. requires a level of inner strength. Yeah, and so it's not like they're teaching unforgivable curses. Except at Hogwarts during the fourth year. Okay, well, <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, who is actually That's, teaching that class? Yes, yes. Um, but... it's She strikes me as the person... Who would be like, I know, I, like, I'd be able to do this. I'm not just boasting about it, but I feel like she'd be the type of person that practices it, like, in her home. <laughs> or, like, like, even if she didn't practice it, I could see her as the type of, because obviously you practice magic so that you don't have the dire consequences of just going for it. Mm -hmm. So I could also see Umbridge, especially where Harry is concerned, being like, you know what? If I say it and instead of torturing him, it snaps his neck, like, you know what? Problem still solved. Probably. Well, she doesn't seem very concerned about... Okay. The minister will understand. <laughs> here's, here's my thing about Umbridge. If you're about to do this, I, I don't want to say I get it. <laughs> um, but f from her perspective, I could see where she would want to go to this next step. The issue I have is why are you doing it in a crowded room of people? I would tell the Inquisitorial Squad... Get all these people get out. out. Get out. Like, everybody out. And you... But I would say... Plausible deniability. You would keep Harry and you would probably keep, like, Ron and Hermione to almost, like, witness it as a threat. Which... I would... I would... If I were going to do that, I'd be like... Just to cover myself, I'd be like... It's just me and Harry. But think about it, like, they've been doing a smear campaign mm -hmm. against Harry, so, like, who's going to believe him anyway? Who's Harry going to go to? The Minister of Magic that's not going to listen? Correct. Any yeah. type of magical well, exactly. law enforcement who's not going to listen? Like, he has no one who's going to believe him other than people who, if they show up to his defense, are also going to get arrested. Yeah, well, that's what happened at the beginning of this book, is you had one other person... And it wasn't the most reliable person, mm -hmm. but it didn't matter. It was one person. Yeah. So if anybody is there, forget like four or five of just the Gryffindors. Forget like if one of the Slytherins buckles, mm -hmm. you know, which could happen because they're after their own skin anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, because then you could be like, okay, well, you were in the room where that happened so we can charge you with being like an accessory to it because you were 
binding and gagging the other people in the room. So we're going to put you on blast. Yeah. You'll go to Azkaban. Oh, no. You know, she she did the Cruciatus curse. And I was like, whoa, no, that's not cool. <laughs> I'm also just like, I, don't get me wrong. I, I think I've talked about this before. I love a good villain. Like, I will take a good villain any day over, like, an amazing hero. Because I think there's so much complexity and there's so much of the whoa, I didn't realize that they would actually go that far. And so one of the things that I love about Order of the Phoenix is actually Dolores Umbridge because she is such a terrible, terrible, terrible person and villain. But it's like, it just, it all comes out of nowhere with her. Like with Voldemort, you can see the plan. Like, you know what his endgame is and you understand why he's doing everything to get to his endgame. With Umbridge, it's just, hey, here's a pen that makes you bleed. That's an interesting question that you bring up. Is Umbridge a good <clears throat> villain? I kind of want to get to that point in the spoilers section. Yeah. Not because it's necessarily spoiler, but just because we're running long on the non-spoilers. <laughs> and we still have a bombshell that she drops here of, she ordered the Dementors after Harry. Mm-hmm. And... Chapter one. Which again, villain. Well, yeah. But, I mean, that's kind of a bombshell that she drops here. And, and Harry's even like, I'm sorry. Like, forget serious for a second. That was you? Mm-hmm. Like, all that trauma you put me through early was you? What? And, and she was like, well, there's a lot of hemming and hawing about how we deal with this Harry Potter kid. And I was just like, I'll just do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just take care of him. Okay. Diabolical psychopath yes that's what i'm saying she's an amazing villain like wow she's about to use the cruciatus curse and then hermione stops mid curse and spills dumbledore's secrets the secrets of dumbledore yes that's it she spills the secrets of dumbledore (laughs) um out into the room and uh starts talking about his weapon and you know what it would be good if you actually brought the Inquisitorial Squad, because then students they would know. They could use it on you. Students would know. Also, give that girl an Oscar. Yeah. Like, yeah. man. Uh, she did a great job selling it. Yes. And then who also helped her sell it was Draco. I love the little, like, throwaway line where he tried to hide it, but Umbridge caught the glimpse of greed in his face mm-hmm. when it was, like, weapon that can, like, oust umbridge and all of this or just oust you know it's a dumbledore weapon who knows what that could be so she noticed the greed on draco's face and was like okay it'll just be me harry and you and we'll go off to find this weapon and that's how the chapter ends i i feel like really quick uh, as we're wrapping up this non-spoiler hermione's the mvp of this chapter yeah um a thousand percent i mean like Far and away. Like, she not only in the beginning is the, okay, let's look at the logical scenario here and, like, go through the logical steps and think this through before we do something rash when we literally have all eyes on us. And then she's like, okay, this is how we relatively safely figure it out. And then she's the one that gets them all out of everything. Yep. Way to go, Hermione. Way to go, Hermione. Uh, We will pause it right here. Uh, We'll have a break, and then we'll be right back with the spoiler section. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so we are back with the spoiler section of chapter 32. And I kind of actually wanted to start with a conversation that kind of brought, got brought up at the end of the non-spoiler section of what makes a good villain. And you were talking about Umbridge, and I'm like, is she a great villain? And I know I've said in earlier chapters, what she's honestly one of the big factors that makes me love this book so much, ironically, mm-hmm. because she ang like i have anger actual anger and real emotion when i read her bits because that's what she brings out of me mm-hmm. which is great i think if literature invokes emotion in somebody that's great literature so to that point yes i do agree but i think snape is a better villain because of what you were trying to get to of there's yeah. depth there yeah but i think it's just not a one note umbridge is very one note she is but snape is layered i think to me part of what makes umbridge a good villain is since she has that like almost like one note quality it's like there doesn't seem to be a line that she won't cross and to me that's one of the things that ends up making a really great villain is when you have that like shock factor of you saw that coming from nowhere and you're like wait i'm sorry you decided to do an unforgivable curse like when you work for the ministry and so for me like with snape a lot of the stuff that puts him more in the villain realm is stuff that like you see why he does it you can see the motivation whereas like for um what does she even get out of this at the end of the day and I guess we're in spoiler like, section, so we could even go into the Voldy of it. Because we obviously, in the next book, find out a lot more about Voldy's background mm-hmm. and his history. And a little bit about what makes Voldy Voldy. Yeah. And even he has some depth to his evil. Well, <laughs> so, and I think with Voldemort, too, like... I guess the, we need more depth on think, what, what in Umbridge's childhood <laughs> made her the way that she is. Well, and think about, like, with Voldemort, like, how many people has he killed over the course of the books. And no matter how many people he kills, like, especially once, like, he orders, essentially orders Cedric's execution, we'll call it. Like, after that happens, like, you're kind of at the point where it's like, he could kill anyone and the only reason that it's affecting you is because you have a connection to the character. Not from the shock value, not from the, I can't believe he would kill that person. But it's just, the only thing that Voldemort does is almost like the stereotypical bad guy of he is going to torture then kill mm-hmm. whereas umbridge part of what makes her such a like almost diabolical villain is like there's almost like a sick sense of satisfaction from like the pain and the agony she almost gets a joy out of torturing these children whereas like yeah. voldemort is everything is a means to an end. I th- So I think we briefly got on this topic in one of the previous chapters of like, 
Voldemort does enjoy torturing people. And he does enjoy killing people. But his enjoyment comes from the power of it. Like mm-hmm. him exerting his power. I'm more powerful than you. Yeah. Umbridge seems to enjoy the pain that she's inflicting on someone. Yes. Like, she enjoys... That's what she enjoys. Like, she enjoys the pain. She enjoys that she is the one that has, like, caused it and that she gets to wield this power. It's but more it's sadistic. Not, yes. It's not the... I still think with Voldemort, even with him enjoying the power of torturing and killing, like, it's still... A means to an end. He's doing it because it's getting, whether it's to get rid of all of the Muggleborns or it's to get the information that he needs to stamp out Dumbledore. Like, whatever it is, everything, you see the motivation, you see why it's happening, and none of it fully surprises you. Like, you get the shock value of Cedric's death, but then you're like, I mean, it's Voldemort. He was gonna go and kill a baby. Like, it's fine. Whereas, like, Umbridge, you just keep reading all this stuff and you're like, I'm sorry, you decided that uh, detention was going to involve a pen that's essentially a scalpel on your hand? Yeah. Yeah. It's a a new level of villain in a way. Yeah. And, like, I love the villains that, like... I don't want to say have no boundaries because typically like the boundaries you hear about is that like they won't like kill someone and most villains especially when you're talking about in like a fantastical world seem to have like no issue with that there's so much shock value and interest and sitting there and going like think about her pulling harry out of um the fire and then her deciding okay first i'm going to use a highly regulated substance to get the truth out of him. Oh, we don't have that? You know what? Even though I have 10 witnesses here, I'm going to do an illegal, unforgivable curse, and the minister will understand if he finds out. Oh, yeah. By the way, when people were trying to figure out what to do with you because you were the problem, I'm the one that decided to essentially <clears throat> try to kill you, but not actually kill you. I think you hit it on the head, too, with Voldemort does what he does, which is heinous and awful and unforgivable. But he always usually has a reason for doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, like he does it with a purpose. Yes. Which doesn't make it better, but still. Umbridge seems to just do it because she likes it. I almost wonder why she wasn't put in as at least a teacher when... Voldy takes over Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Like, the Caros are made the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, and then Snape is headmaster. Yeah. So, do you think, like... Okay, but if Snape's headmaster, there's no way he's letting Umbridge anywhere near Well, that's, that's true. <laughs> so, but do you think, like... Do you think Snape and Voldy had that conversation of, like... <laughs> like, Voldy's like, you know, this Umbridge woman kind of gets what we're doing. Uh, what are your two cents on her? And Snape is like, that woman... No. I can't do it. I, I just can't do it. <laughs> Snape just says no. Kill me now because I'm not working for that woman again. <laughs> um, like, I wonder what that conversation was like. Or, or is Voldy like, you know, I can't have that woman at my school. Yeah, she'll be coming after me next. Voldy actually cares about Hogwarts for all of his faults. It's true. He does care about that school. 
So he's like, nah, I can't. I or can't Voldemort that. saw Umbridge and was like, uh-uh, I don't want her getting any ideas. She's going to take over my Death Eaters. I, I get Umbridge has a position at the ministry in, in Voldy's and Ministry Johnny, of Magic. Yeah. But it's not a terribly high position. It's not like he looked at her and was like, oh, yeah, you run the ministry. No, he had at least two people above her. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's not like Voldy looked at Umbridge and was like, she gets me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I don't know. Anyway, uh, you know, another villain that we can talk about here, Creature. I'm death. not necessarily going to call Creature... In this book, he's a villain. Well, in this book, yes. (laughs) In this book, he's a straight-up villain. In this book. But when you look at how house elves were treated, especially by purebloods, Mm -hmm. um, and how... He loved his pureblood family, though. That doesn't mean they were kind to them. No, absolutely not. Um, And when you look at that, and when you look at how the Order treated Creature... Sirius did not treat him well. Yeah. Um, your, your boy. Yeah. Your guy. Yeah. We've talked about this irony before. We've talked about the irony that... His one ironic <clears throat> line. You were on for his one ironic yes. line. Um, where he talks about it's how you treat your inferiors. And it ends up doing serious dirty in the end. Backfiring immensely. And... I just, I find it so interesting that Harry, because again, these books are from Harry's perspective, and I find it so interesting that Harry calls out that Creature has bandages on his hand, and like all of the red flags that we mentioned in the non-spoiler section. There's some interesting things that he noticed about Creature in this chapter that he dismisses. Yeah, that like, he calls it out. It's not like he's so into what his own endgame is that he doesn't notice creatures red flags mm-hmm. um so the fact that he actually calls them out and doesn't like make that connection listen creature technically has a large involvement in sirius's disappearance we're gonna call it disappearance because we never got clarity and i've harped on this before about what happens when you fall through curtain veil whatever you'd like to call it mm-hmm. So we're going to call it Sirius's disappearance because I'm still processing this grief from however many years ago this book was published. I'm still having issues. It's fine. It might be 20, 20 years. Oh, God, don't tell me that, Dan. (laughs) I mean, Creature does obviously play a role in Sirius's ultimate demise um, because it's not like Creature's dumb. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what the plan is, and he uses it as his opportunity to get back at Sirius and takes, like, pleasure in it. But I I don't want to necessarily say that Creature is a villain, knowing what happens later on. I think Creature has an interesting arc, and I've said before, I think he has one of the more interesting character arcs. Uh, Because villains don't have remorse. A good villain does not have remorse, so I'm not going to call Creature a villain. Sirius did not treat him very well. I don't even know how much remorse he really, truly feels for Sirius. I think he realizes who he really loved was Regulus, Mm -hmm. and a lot of what he does in the end... Is really for Regulus's memory than anything else. Yeah. 
but whatever. Whatever the case, he does make his his character turn. And again, you could say the same thing about Snape. Villain, 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 villain. Whatever you think about why he ultimately ends up not being a villain in the yeah. end, still has that turn. <clears throat> so eh, it's it layers. Obviously, we get less pages of Creature than we do Snape. But yeah, Creature's an interesting character. Yeah, and, and I think it's... In this chapter, particularly, it's Creature is actually for the whole book up to this point, Creature is very much written off. Um, it's another one that we talked about a couple of times that J.K. Rowling does a great job of leaving breadcrumbs throughout the book of what's going to happen, what's going to be important that you don't think about. And when we had all of this talk of house elves in the past, like. Now you're at the point that you're like, oh, okay, we decided to introduce another house elf that isn't treated very well. And then when Harry is trying to communicate with Sirius and creatures at the fire, like, it's not suspicious to anyone because you're like, well, of course he's going to be at the house. Like, we know that pretty much the only people who are constantly at the house are Sirius and Creature. Yeah. Um, so you don't necessarily see anything that's super suspicious and you just think it's a like, well, okay, somebody answered the fire. In all seriousness, the events in this chapter and how they lead into the ending of this book, the guilt would be crippling. Um, yeah, I mean, reading the book for the first time, you don't notice any of the like bright glaring lights that are like screaming at you you're just kind of like all right harry's being harry like whatevs but then like rereading it when you know what happens in like a couple of chapters not even that you have to remember it for book seven but like in a like in like three chapters in like all falls apart three chapters sirius is just gone yeah and it's even as someone who like loves Sirius as a character and loves like what he gives to Harry and Harry's character. It just is gutting reading it and seeing how Harry's stupidity ultimately leads to Sirius's demise. I'm going to say demise. I I, I have a lot of issues with, I I will, (laughs) we'll get there, but (laughs) I will push back a little bit on Harry's stupidity because I think Harry's not wise decisions in this chapter stupidity um, <laughs> are, are also a credit to Voldy and how he orchestrated this whole yes. thing. I mean, it it's not like Harry just did this of his own accord. Voldy planted a seed mm-hmm. and made it grow and made it grow and made it grow and then finally pulled the whole thing together. It's a really well orchestrated plan from from Voldy. Yeah, that that a lot of people contributed. To. They were kind of making it real for Harry to buy in, like the idea of the weapon, mm-hmm. the idea of the Department of Mysteries is, is a is a real place and it's a real thing. Yeah, Snape even in the Occlumency lessons are like, you shouldn't be going there. You mm-hmm. shouldn't be seeing this. While he's right, and he's right for even saying that, he's also feeding. Voldy's whole thing of like, this is real. Yeah. This whole thing is real. Like, Voldemort, part of what is almost so like terrifying of him is how many steps ahead he is and how well he understands the nature 
of people. And that's what Voldemort ends up playing on a lot. To get his Death Eaters, he preys on their fear of, you know, helplessness or not being in charge or whatever it is. And Voldemort knows how people's minds tick. And I think that's what makes Dumbledore so terrifying to Voldemort is like, you don't know what with Dumbledore. I mean, you could argue that Dumbledore is also a villain in this entire series. And I'm sure a lot of people would make that argument once you get to the end of Deathly Hallows. Mm -hmm. But Voldemort knows what makes people tick. And that's part of what makes him so good at being bad. Yeah. Um, but I, it's just so heartbreaking to read this chapter and to see the whole point of this chapter was Harry is trying to save Sirius's life. And this whole chapter, you just see the like 12 different ways that if Harry had just slightly veered, he would have saved Sirius's life. Like if he had actually just taken a second and listened to Hermione and they thought through it and he went, oh, right, this could be a setup. If he had thought about, is there anyone else in all of Hogwarts who could help you? Even if it wasn't thinking of Snape as a member of the order, even if it's going, wait a minute, portraits. Let's go find a portrait and have someone communicate with somebody on the outside or if it's like yeah it could have taken longer but if it's sending an owl or if it's taking the two seconds to realize that like if they're torturing and trying to kill Sirius like make the connection that Voldemort would be doing that because it's the person that's most likely to get to Harry so he's not going to kill him because then there's no leverage anymore. You could almost make the argument that the whole Arthur Weasley incident is the best thing that ever happened to Voldy. Mm-hmm. Because, yes, it 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 made him aware of the connection. Mm-hmm. It reinforced that, hey, you're seeing something that's real. Oh, well, now I can manipulate that. Yeah. Which is exact. I mean, that's just ultimately what it is. Because now you've saved Arthur Weasley. You've done an amazing, heroic thing that everybody praises you for. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do the same thing with someone you care even more about. And since it's with Arthur Weasley and not many people in the Order take issue with Arthur. Does anyone take issue with Arthur in no. the Order? Like Molly? Yeah. <laughs> Molly. That's it. And so, like, when you've saved everyone's favorite guy that you don't take issue with, all of a sudden, when you say you're seeing something else, everyone's going to believe you. And Hermione is the only one who's like, hold on, wait a second. Can you imagine the guilt that Hermione must feel? Yeah, I'm a little... She points it all out. Imagine what happens at the end when she goes, oh my God, I was right about this. If I had pushed him more... Yeah. If I had stopped him from going... I can forgive Harry for being a little absent-minded, given the emotional stress he's under. Also, the exhaustion that he's under, because yeah. he's going through these yeah. exams and all that. I can forgive him for that, 
The only thing that I can maybe fault Hermione for, and keep in mind I did call her the MVP of this chapter, and I mean that. Yeah. Um, the only thing I could possibly fault her for is not thinking of, hey, let's go talk to Snape. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a thing she probably would normally actually say. Yeah, I think part of it, which we touched on earlier, is that we've had so much of him being the scapegoat. Oh yeah, I'm not saying Harry would do it. We can't trust. Well, I've even saying like her. I don't even know that Hermione in this situation would think to say like, "Hey, Harry, one of your like arch nemesis, yeah, like." Let's go talk to him and see if he'll save what the one living person that he hates the most. So I think the true what if comes in. He runs to McGonagall in the hospital wing. She's not there. What's his next step? What if his decision is not run to Ron and Hermione, but it's like, okay, who's next in the order that I could maybe contact? And he then goes to Snape. Mm-hmm. Then that could be like a whole thing. Because Snape has been... Like, in his Occlumency lessons, like, if something happens in the school, like, yeah. you actually see a remarkable, like, I don't want to say camaraderie, but it's like a, uh interaction between yes. them that's not uh, a very animosity-filled interaction. It's more like, Harry, did you see anything happen in the Great Hall? Like, after, the, like, when the whole Trelawney thing happens, and yes. they're screaming in the hallway, and he's like, Harry, did you hear anything when you're... All right, I'm out. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, let's do this. Like, I think if he went to Snape, Snape would be like, okay. Well, A, he'd be like, why did you see that? Well, I think what would have happened is... Either he, way. It would depend on the scenario. Because the reason that it seems like Snape's not helpful is because he's surrounded by a bunch of people that he can't tell that he's helping you. He can't say to Dolores Umbridge, hey, got your code, bro. Let me go, like, right. let me go call the troops. He can't do that he when he can he's... when Harry goes individually, though. When yes. he goes and finds him in his well, office. And that's what I'm saying. It's like, if Snape was alone in his office, yeah. I think something could have happened. I mean, there would have been some level of snark, but there would have been a... Like, I still think there would have been some level of Snape There would have been like... snark first, and he would have pulled the Hermione argument of... Snape would have been Hermione initially. Yeah, he would have been Hermione, but he wouldn't have told Harry, like, hey, I'll go check. He would have been like, don't worry about it, Potter. And then he would have gone and checked. So we still would have kind of ended up in the same scenario, Maybe. I think. I, I think but... Harry would have annoyed him enough to be like, fine, Potter, let's... Yeah. I will show you. Yeah. Like, this will be done. Um, just because he'd be annoyed at it. Well, and I also think that, like, if you had that... Even if, say, like, in a completely, like, delusional world, because I don't think this would have happened, but, like, if Snape was like, let's break into Umbridge's office and call Sirius. I also think you wouldn't have run into the issues with Creature because Snape, I think, would have seen that. Snape doesn't have the emotional connection to Sirius. Correct. He doesn't care about Sirius. He cares about the bigger picture. Correct. And so he's not going to sit there and be so ramped up about trying to save Sirius. It's he's trying to save... He's trying to figure out the problem. Yes. And so I think he would have seen all of the issues with Creature, whether or not he would have, like, relayed that to the trio versus, like, a, like, you guys are children, calm down, let the grown-ups handle this, is another story. But, like... There are so many different spots through this whole chapter where everything that happened, like if Harry 
had made one slightly different decision, the entire series would be changed. Yeah, I, I guess where I kind of fall on, on Harry and this is I'm actually more forgiving of Harry in this chapter, even though what the results from this chapter is more devastating. But I'm more forgiving based on the circumstances. At least he had a reason to go into Umbridge's office and try the flute yeah. network. Versus the last time he did this, which is like, why are you taking this risk? You do yeah. not need to take this risk at all on any level. Yeah. This and, at least I is mean, a risk worth taking. I agree. Like, it's a risk worth taking. And given the facts that are immediately in front of him, it makes sense that it would end this way and that he would feel this way. But it's just, it, especially as a huge, serious, like, lover and advocate... This chapter, like... Hurts your soul. <laughs> after reading it for not the first time, and you just see all of the different ways that Sirius's life could have been saved, it's almost like every single time you notice that Harry skips something that could have saved him, it's just like twisting the knife like over and over and over and over and over. Because it's like, dude, right there, if you just chilled out for half a second to listen to what Hermione was saying and you guys walked through it, Sirius would have never been there. Yeah. If you had gone, oh, McGonagall's not here. Okay, who's another, like, person that could actually check on this for me without it being suspicious? Go to Molly. Could yeah. pop into the borough. Well, and it's like, okay, then... Oh, I was just checking to see if I'm coming there for the summer. Yeah. like <laughs> That's a lie that he could have told. Okay, I don't know how long it takes for an owl to send a message, but think about all the different ways that you can send messages through the magical world. Think of all of the different people that could have sent a message to, like, Lupin or Molly or Arthur that was you just... You send an owl to Molly being like, hey, is Padfoot at the house? Mm-hmm. Or, like, you could, the same message that you gave to Sirius, you could have sent to, like, Lupin and has been like, is my dog in the doghouse? Yeah, that would have worked. Like, and he would have figured it out. There yeah. are so, and I get it that, like, the owls were probably being tracked, so you had a talking Oh, code. they were definitely like, being, You like, don't yeah. know, like, how quickly anything could get out, but, like, we see all of these different ways of communication, of transportation. Yeah. yeah. And, like... You just, there's so many different ways that could have changed it. And if Sirius hadn't died, it changes Harry's outlook on things. It changes who Harry has in his corner. And honestly, Voldemort would have still been underground. Because the end of this book, like, there's no denying that he's back. Right. This this book changes a lot, obviously. And I know it must have been a process for her to write because I know originally she wanted to kill off Arthur, Arthur in that mm -hmm. that scene. And then when she decided no, but she still needed that big emotional punch in this book, it must have been a process to write. And yeah, and I, when you think about it, like, as far as, like, character motivation moving forward, like, I think Arthur gives a better, a bigger shock value sure. for a death um, than Sirius does because when you think about like Sirius throughout the books like it still kills me deep in my soul that he 
passes his demise, whatever you want to call it, at the end of this book. But like, you're not totally shocked. The only reason that you're actually shocked is because like, Harry is finally getting that like familial connection and then it's ripped, ripped away. away. Yeah. And it's one that like, you know, in Prisoner of Azkaban, there's only short little glimpses of the relationship. In Goblet of Fire, like, you see Sirius a little bit more, but it's still, like, you have to write in code, you have to meet in secret, you have to, like, you know, under the darkness of night talk, and, like, it's finally getting to the, you might be able to be out in the open, you might be able to, like, actually, like, go and get a butterbeer with me, you might be able to, like, actually be my guardian again. And it's like, everything seems to be on like the upswing in this relationship. And as soon as there's like that nice little glimmer of hope, it's just smashed out and we get no answers on it. And I am still waiting, JK Rowling. (laughs) I don't know if I was in Harry's position, how I would be able to honestly function or exist with how this book ends. Your whole life you've essentially had- no family because like i said earlier like the dursley's like yeah they're his family but like and then you being essentially the the reason the reason well and it's like and then with the vagueness of what happens to sirius and it's like you don't know no one knows and he's just gone and we don't know if it's gone forever if he's in some other realm if whatever it is that actually ends up happening. And I can't imagine that that makes it any easier because it's not like you can be like, oh, well, and he's in a place of sunshine and rainbows. And that's why it was in the Department of Mysteries. There is nothing about this that can give Harry any level of peace. It's a packed chapter that has so many epic consequences for the rest of the whole series Mm -hmm. and uh yeah it's an interesting one to kind of break down do you have anything else for spoilers um i think that might be it other than me laughing when umbridge says do you think i can't handle two wandless teenagers to malfoy i was like i mean i don't know it's a load that's a load to handle i don't know All right, well, on that note, we will end it here with chapter 32, and we will be back next week. And thank you guys. Again, thank you to those wonderful comments at the beginning of the episode. We really appreciate all that. Check out our Spotify uh, when you listen to the episode and leave a comment, leave a review, participate in our polls uh, so we can find out all 77% of people that disagree with Julie. (laughs) Also, uh, check out our Twitter and Instagram where you can... Or X. I don't know. Whatever. I'm going to keep calling it Twitter. Same. Uh, check out our Twitter and Instagram where you can leave kind of comments on the episode and we will shout you out here on the podcast. So with that, we will leave it here and we'll be back next week for chapter 33. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts, a podcast.